Now muster, now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel in the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Beth. Okay, uh, kids, I mentioned your Trinity Kids Bulletin that is in that uh, worship bag. You can grab that now, and there's a spot on there to jot down these three things that I want you to listen for. One is an Etch-a-Sketch. Uh, secondly, Siege Warfare. And then thirdly, the Return of the King. So Etch-a-Sketch, Siege Warfare, and Return of the Kings. With that, let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you. Uh, that you are God who draws near to us when we gather around your word. And so we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray that you would open your word and that we would behold uh, your glory, that we would see Jesus and that we would come to know him more during this time. And we ask it all in his name. Amen. Um, in order to go uh, four for four on Christmas movie intros in Advent, um, I'm going to wrap this week by, uh, by one that, with one that everybody loves, and it's Elf. So uh, it's about Buddy, who is a human that's raised by elves. And uh, the, the thing is, is that Buddy doesn't know that he's an elf until he's well into adulthood. And so the way that he starts figuring this out is that he's ruining everything that's happening at the North Pole. So he is a painfully slow toy maker, uh, he brings the elf choir down a full octave. Uh, he breaks chairs because they're made for elves. He can't really shower because the shower's too small for him. And, uh, and so he's slowing everything down. They're behind in toys. In short, he's a cotton-headed ninny-muggins, right? And, uh, and he's in danger of ruining Christmas. And so in the midst of kind of his uh, existential crisis that he's uh, enduring, he leaves uh, to go find his biological father. But things don't get better at first. Actually, the, the low point uh, is where he, he interrupts his dad, who is in this emergency Christmas Eve business meeting. Because he's in love, he's in love, and he doesn't care who knows it. Uh, and the problem is that he ends up ruining the deal for his dad. And so his dad gets furious with him. He yells at him, he tells him to get out, not just of, of this place, but to get out of his life. And so Buddy returns to, uh, to the apartment and he finds an Etch-a-Sketch and he writes this. I'm sorry I ruined your lives and crammed 11 cookies into the VCR. I don't belong here. I don't belong anywhere. I'll never forget you. Love, buddy. And that is the low point of that movie. Because what, what Buddy knows is that he, he has totally made a mess of things and he's overcome by it. He knows it's his fault and he knows that there's nothing that he can do to fix it. 
And so I, I mention that because if you've been with us in, uh, in previous weeks, you'll know that the part of uh, what we talk a good bit about in Advent is the, the, the sense of darkness that's around us. We, we feel the, the pain and the sorrow and the, the brokenness of this world. And, and there's this part of us that longs for that to be made right. Here's the hard part though about that. What do you do when the, the, the darkness and the brokenness of your life is actually your own fault? It's not something that's been done to you. It's actually a mess of your own making. And the kind of question that, that, that you start to ask uh, at that point is how is God gonna respond to that? Because I think there, there, there's part of us that thinks it, it, it's one thing to look to him to redeem the brokenness of our world. But what if though it's my sin that's the actual problem? What, what, what if I'm in this mess because of me? And you start to wonder, is God still gonna show me grace? Is there, is there hope that I will be rescued from these circumstances that I put myself in? And I think we really feel that struggle when you start thinking about the, those really deep-seated sins in your lives. Those, those habits that are really more like addictions, those things that, that you can't shake that feel like they still have a hold of you no matter what you try to do to get free of them. Will God still rescue me? And the thing about that question is that it's not actually a new question. It's one that, that goes all the way back to the fall in Genesis 3. It is the question that Adam and Eve were asking right after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's the, the, the same question that Israel asked themselves over and over again as they continued to stumble and fall and rebel against God. And it's still that same question that Judah is asking in this passage in Micah 5. Here's the problem. The problem in Micah 5 is not just that there are these other nations around them attacking them. That's part of the problem. The real problem for Judah in this passage is that it was their own sin that got them into that place. And so the question that they're asking is this, will God still rescue us even after we've blown it? Even after we've been put in this place because of our sin? And so the, the response to that question is this incredible promise that God makes. And so here's what I want us to see today. It's that you can be certain that God will rescue you. And the reason you can be certain of that is because God has sent the shepherd king for you. And so that's true even when you're in a mess of your own making. And so what I wanna do is, uh, is to highlight three things about this promised shepherd king that gives us that certainty. So here's the first. You can be certain that God will rescue you because the shepherd king is compassionate. Because he's compassionate. So let me set the scene here. Micah um, is a prophet that was uh, doing ministry at the same time as Isaiah. And so we've looked at Isaiah 7 and then Isaiah 11 the past couple of weeks. And so the situation is the same situation. But Micah is talking, is prophesying a little bit later than that. And so what's happened since we last looked uh, at what was happening with Judah is that things have gotten a whole lot worse. So at this point, Assyria, who's this great military power in the north, is laying siege to Judah. 
And if you remember, the way that they got into this situation is that King Ahaz, who was the king of Judah, had gone to Assyria for help when Syria and Israel were attacking them. And what ended up happening, though, is that Assyria, rather than helping, just overran Judah. And that's exactly what Isaiah said would happen if they did it. And so once again, Judah's being attacked. This time, though, it's by Assyria, and it's this kind of warfare that's described here as, as a siege warfare. And that kind of warfare was particularly awful. So the way this would work is that most cities had these walls around them. And so that was, that was true of Judah as well as of Jerusalem. And so what, what these uh, opposing attacking nations would do is they would surround the city, they would cut off all food and supplies, and they would just wait. They would wait for starvation to set in. They'd wait for livestock to die off. And then when this city got so weak that they couldn't do anything about it, they would then attack and overrun them. That's the situation that Judah's in here. Here's the thing, though. What Micah has said in previous chapters in his book is that the reason that God is allowing that to happen is because of their sin. That's what the, the first three chapters of Micah are all about. They're, they're these oracles of judgment against the people of Judah. In other words, the problem isn't just Assyria. That is a huge problem, but it is not the problem. The problem is their own sin. And, and, and here's why I think that's so important for us to see. I, I think it's one thing for us to believe and, and genuinely hope that God is eventually gonna rescue us from our suffering that he has done something about the pain and the sorrow of living in this broken and fallen world. But I think he, the, the, it's, it's harder for us to believe, though, that he's going to do that when things are bad because of something that you've done, because of your own sin. See, that is Judah's situation, and so they're asking that question, is God still going to help us? Will he still be gracious to us? Is he gonna rescue us in this spot where we are right now? He said we're his covenant people, and yet what we have done over and over again is to break that covenant with him. That's their situation, and it's into that situation that, that Micah speaks these words of hope and of grace. And, and uh, as is so often the case in the Bible, it starts with just one word. And it comes in this word at the beginning of verse two, but... And so what Micah goes on to tell them about, the, the, about this is that there is a source of hope. There is a reason for the hope that they should have. And he actually hints at it in verse 1. He tells Judah to muster their troops. So God is saying here, yes, you are facing a huge army. And yes, you are here because of judgment against you. But I am going to do something about it. And, and here's what I want you to see right from the start and the way in which this applies to us. God's grace is greater than your sin. And, and that is one of the great truths at the heart of Christianity, that his rescue of you is not based on you doing the right thing. If you remember, he, it's actually your sin that he's rescuing you from. And here's why that's so important for us to see. It's actually, when you begin to believe that that's true, that you will actually turn from the sin that enslaves you. So I was, uh, I was listening to an interview uh, this past week from a pastor in Portland. He was describing his, uh, the struggle that he had had historically with pornography. And uh, so the interview asks him, uh, asked him, what is it that, that finally gave you some sense of freedom from this sin? 
And so he, he said there were a lot of uh, really practical things that, that, uh, that were important, regular confession, uh, regularly being involved in worship, measures of accountability, all those kinds of things. But ultimately what he said that, that really transformed him was believing that God still loved him even when he was failing. He said that that, that, that that was what started to loosen the grip of this sin and this shame on him and eventually led to his freedom. And see, what, what was happening for him is that God was rescuing him through Jesus' compassion. It was through an experience of this grace that is greater than his sin that changed him. That's what the shepherd king does. And that, that's the first thing for us to see about him, that he's compassionate towards you in the midst of your sin. Here's the second thing. You can be certain that God will rescue you because the shepherd king comes in an unexpected way. He comes in an unexpected way. So Michael, uh, Micah says in verse two that this ruler is gonna come from Bethlehem. And of course, to us, that place is pretty significant, right? Because if you're at all familiar with the Bible, we know that Jesus came in fulfillment of that promise. But here's the thing. Uh, that promise wouldn't have landed in the same way with Micah's original audience. Why not? Well, because Bethlehem was a totally insignificant place. It was a nothing town. He says that this clan is, is too little to be, a, uh, to be among the clans of Judah. And so there's this place in, in Joshua where Joshua is listing all 150 cities of the promised land, of the entire area. And he doesn't mention Bethlehem. It's because it was a nothing place. There was nothing to it at all. It was insignificant. What Micah says, though, is that there's gonna be this ruler who's sent from the Lord, specifically he says, who's from of old, from ancient days. And so that phrase, from of old, from ancient days, combined with this reference to Bethlehem and to Judah, it's a way to say that this king is gonna come from David's line. And what's interesting about that is that David also came from these pretty insignificant, humble origins. So in, uh, it, it, when Samuel was called by God to select the true king of Israel, remember he goes to David's family, but he goes through all of his older brothers first, all of these guys that you would expect to be the king. He says, this is not the guy. It's only when David is brought out from, from the pasture as a shepherd that he then becomes king. And so and when instead for this, the, the, the youngest and lowliest of all of them. And so what he says is that that's the kind of ruler that's gonna come. But when this ruler comes, he, he, he won't come until after Israel is gonna continue to face op opposition. He says the true Messiah is gonna come and he says it's gonna be from the people of Israel. And so in verse three, he says, when she who is in labor. And so in the context of Micah, the she is referring to Zion. So it's going to, that, that this ruler is gonna come from the community of Zion. But what we know is that there's also this faint echo here of the birth of Jesus that's gonna come later. Here's the point though. The point is that this ruler will come and it's gonna be incredible when he does, but he's gonna come in a totally unexpected way. And he's gonna come in a way that, that, that will put on display the fact that this is the Lord's doing. And, and that's actually a pattern that you see over and over in the Bible because over and over, God loves to do these great things through these ordinary, everyday, humble, and even unexpected ways. And the reason that he loves to do that and to use people like that is because it makes totally clear that he is the one who's doing it. That he is the one who's actually gonna rescue his people. 
So fast forward 700 years. So at this point, Herod the Great has heard about this baby named Jesus. He pulls together all the chief priests and the scribes, and he wants to know where the Messiah is supposed to be born because he's afraid that this could be the guy. And so what the chief priests and scribes say is they answer by quoting this second verse of Micah 5, that he would come from Bethlehem of Judea. And that his coming would also be in the most unexpected way. He would be born to this unwed teenage mother in the the backwaters of the Roman Empire, in, in this crammed room full of animals that smelled, And the people that God would first tell of his birth were a bunch of nobody shepherds. And yet, he would be great David's greater son. That would be the true rescuer, the true shepherd king. He would come in this most unexpected of ways. So the question then is, what does that say to us, especially in this struggle to believe that God really will rescue us? Well, what it does is it gives you hope that God both can and he does love to bring about redemption in the most unlikely of circumstances. And and here's why that's important. I would guess that, that for some of you right now, there are circumstances in your life that feel like they are beyond repair. They're the, the, the kind of circumstances that, that, that are so broken and so impossible that that you can't really even imagine what it would look like for this situation to be made right. And so one of the things that you see over and over again in the Bible and in this passage is that God loves to work in that place. He loves to work in the most unlikely, unexpected places. That's how he brought the Messiah into the world. And it didn't stop with his incarnation because this same shepherd king lived this life of humility and he, he lived it in anonymity. And eventually that life of lowliness led him to the cross where God would in this most unexpected way forgive your sins and defeat death. He would do it by becoming sin for us and giving himself over to death. See, that is how God loves to work. He loves to work in those most unexpected of ways. And it's another reason that you can know for certain that God really will rescue you if you turn to him. That's what he loves to do. So then thirdly and finally, you can be certain that God will rescue you because the shepherd king is your peace. So what Micah says is that uh, that this ruler is gonna come in an unexpected way, but then he also says, this ruler is going to be great. He's gonna be majestic. He's gonna stand in the strength of the Lord. And he he says this in a couple of ways in verse four. First, he mentions that that he will stand. And so uh, what we need to picture here is of a king stepping into his role. And so uh, one of the great books or movies to to watch or books to read this time of year is The Lord of the Rings. And so uh, what you need to think about here is Tolkien's Return of the King where Aragorn is, is standing before his people at the end of that third movie. And, and he's defeated all of his enemies. And he's standing there before him in this show of strength because nobody, nobody can take him down at that point. And so part of what Mike is saying is that's what this ruler will do. 
that he will stand. And that's what Judah needed to hear at this point, that, that this ruler was going to be strong and his strength was going to endure. It was never going to give out. It was never going to be overcome. He will stand. Secondly, he says that this ruler will shepherd his flock. And so there, this is a way to say a couple of things. One is to say that this ruler is going to be a, a, a king. Because what, what, what you see in the Bible is that uh, it, the shepherds are often closely associated with kings. David is a great example of that, but it, but it also says something about what a shepherd does for his sheep. A shepherd protects his sheep. And so what Micah says is that the, the strength of this shepherd king is actually going to be the strength of the Lord himself, that he will rule in the majesty of the name of the Lord. But as a shepherd, it also means that he's going to know the needs of his sheep. He knows that, that they're helpless he knows that they need to be fed. He knows that they need to be led to, to water. He knows that they need to be rescued in all of the times that they wander. And so uh, Ezekiel, about 100 years later, says this. He says that it is the Lord himself who will be your shepherd. Here's what he says what he'll, that, that he'll do as the true shepherd. He says, I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. And he goes on to say later, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. That is what a true shepherd king does. That is what your true shepherd king does for you. Here's what that means. It means that in the words of verse four, you can dwell secure. And you can think about that if you're Judah, where you are so used to being overrun and threatened by all of these foreign nations that have so much more strength, so much more power than you do. And God is saying to them, I have not forgotten you. I haven't forsaken you, and I'm actually sending my shepherd king, and when he comes, he's going to rescue you. I haven't left you. You are going to dwell secure when he comes for you. That's the first thing that, that Micah says. Here's the second thing that he says. He says, he will be your peace. And that word peace is the Hebrew word for shalom. It's shalom. And it's this peace that, that, that Micah and, and Isaiah also have promised. This is what Micah says in chapter 4. He says that nations shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. In other words, this shepherd king is gonna bring peace and redemption to this broken and war-torn world. That's the kind of large-scale peace that he's gonna bring. That's the rescue that's coming. Here's the deal, though. That's only one part of this peace. Because the, the, there's another kind of peace that they needed. And it's the same peace that, that we need as well. And it's peace with God. And so if you think about this, we don't often think about sin this way, but sin really is a declaration of war against God. You know, we, we use the language of rebellion against God, but we don't think about the fact that we are at war with him and it is our own doing. We are enemies of his by our own choice. Here's what Micah says though. Micah says that this shepherd king will even bring peace right there. How will he do that? 
Well, listen to what what he says. Uh, This is at the end of Micah in chapter 7. He says this about the Lord. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. And listen to this. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that God loves his people so much that he delights in this steadfast, faithful love that he has for them that he is now gonna have compassion, that he's gonna tread your iniquities underfoot and that he is going to take your sins, even those sins that have you by the throat right now, and he is gonna cast them into the depths of the sea. You see, the, the, the answer to that question that we're asking, is God still going to rescue me even after I've blown it? Even when I am the problem, when I have put myself in this place, the answer to that question is yes. And that is exactly why he sent his shepherd king. But, but, but here's the thing. Uh, Jerusalem ended up surviving this siege. They, they were not overcome then. The problem is that they continued to sin and they continued to sin and they continued to sin. And so they're eventually sent into exile in Babylon. They are are then released from exile. They go back into the land. The problem is that it was just a matter of time before the Greeks overran them and then the Romans. And so by the first century, that shepherd king that's promised here in Micah 5 had still not come. And everybody is aching and longing and waiting for him to come. That is until, after all of those years of waiting, a man named Jesus, born in Bethlehem, comes and says these words, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the true, long-awaited, long-hoped-for, long-ached-for shepherd king. And here's the deal. He was the only one who could ever do what is promised here in Micah 5. And he was the only one who could ultimately ever do what was promised in Micah chapter 7. And he did that by laying down his life for the sheep, by laying down his life for you. And so what Paul says in Ephesians 2 of Jesus Christ is that he himself is our peace. And he says that because Jesus is the one who by his death and resurrection offers you true peace with God. And it's the kind of peace that is certain. It's the kind of peace that is permanent. And the reason that it's permanent is because it is as certain as Jesus' death on the cross for you. And you see, that is the reason that you can ultimately know for sure that God will rescue you. Even in, especially when, you are in a mess of your own making. When you've blown it again, when you've fallen into that same habitual sin that you hate and despise, and yet you still love in some way. And you think, there's no way there's forgiveness for me this time. There's no way that God is going to continue to be patient with me when I continue to blow it over 
and over again. It is that place where you have got to know and to believe and remember that your shepherd king has brought you peace with God and that that peace with God is objective and certain. It's as certain as his death for you on the cross. That is your hope if you've put your faith in this shepherd king. So let me, uh, let me close with this. Um, I mentioned the book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, plenty from up here. It's one of the, the books that's probably had the greatest influence on me in the last few years. Uh, there's a chapter in that book that's called What Our Sins Evoke. What does it bring forth from God? So I'm gonna read a quote um, from, a cha- from that chapter. This is in the front of your bulletin. Here's what I want you to do though. Uh, as I read this, I want you to think very specifically of that deep-seated sin in your life. I want you to think of that sin that, that eats you alive, the kind of sin that, that makes you wonder about whether God really still has grace for you, that he really does still love you even as you continue to struggle with this. And hear these words. The guilt and shame of those in Christ is ever outstripped by his abounding grace. When we feel as if our thoughts and words and deeds are diminishing God's grace toward us, those sins and failures are in fact causing it to surge forward all the more. See, that is the forgiveness and the love that the shepherd king offers you. This is why he came for you in the first place and it is why he has promised to come again. He's the one who offers himself to you Go to him, flee to him, receive that grace and forgiveness that is yours in him. Let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you for the kind of grace that you have for broken, sinful people like us. People who continue to wander and stumble and fall, and yet, Lord, your grace is relentless to us. Lord, we thank you that that you have shown that grace in sending your son, our true shepherd king. And so, Father, we pray that we would look to him in faith. We pray that we would find our rest in him, that we would trust him, that we would follow him. And that even as we experience uh, his love and his grace towards us, that we would turn away from our sin, that it would grow unlovely, even as the, the loveliness of our shepherd king grows more and more for us. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen.